Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yes, it's time for another episode of the Gagan Pod. I think it's something like number 50 of the season. How the season that keeps on going, but we have... A champion now. Liverpool are the champions. They take on Manchester City on Friday morning Australian time to celebrate their achievement. Let's talk about that and so much more. It's Donna Luisi and Thomas Sorensen with me, David Weiner, for another episode of the Gagan Pod. Let's get right into it. Boys, good to see you both. To celebrate our 50th, we've sent Bridgie on holidays, which is outstanding. John, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Is this the first one that Bridgie hasn't done? He's racked up the 50th. Uh, he's, he's got a half a century and he's gone on holiday. He can be addicted to a lot of things. And I think Bridgie's one of them is the gagging part. Unless he's just bluffing, he loves it. He tells me how much he loves it. So we're going to miss him this week. We'll dedicate, we'll dedicate the 50th to him. Hopefully he's well wherever he is. And Thomas, welcome back to you. Great to have you every week now as we've been talking about live football every Thursday morning. And a fair bit has happened since we last spoke. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, again, busy week, FA Cup at the weekend, um, you know, the four big teams into the semifinals. And, yeah, and the Premier League continues. So, uh, oh. that your phone, Thomas? Uh, it's, it, no, it's somebody ringing on my wife's phone. <laughs> my God. Uh, it, it, Sorry. Look, Another you, panic. You, you, this is my second panic, yeah. <laughs> You've had 50 Gagginpod episodes. Is this the first time someone's run through today? Yeah, I don't know. For some reason, yeah, it went on my... Yeah, my what do we say? Long time <laughs> listener, first time caller. Let's get the open talk back on. <laughs> Good start. Oh, we're set for a big episode. Well, I'll tell you what, that was about as successful start as Chelsea had today against West Ham. We'll start off with what we've enjoyed on Thursday morning action on Optus Sport, and it was Chelsea 2, West Ham 3 at London Stadium. A London Derby win, a rare London Derby win for the Hammers, and oh my God, John, it is a huge three points. The 89th minute winner from Yarmolenko on the counter-attack. Finally, a relegation-threatened side has won, and they go three points clear as a result. Who would have picked this? Uh, it, well, definitely I didn't because West Ham, the previous two games, hadn't scored a goal. Didn't really look like troubling the opposition uh, when they go forward and, uh, and were conceding goals for fun. And, um, and Chelsea, who had been in great form. I know they didn't play probably so well in the FA Cup win against Leicester, especially the first half. But um, they played well against Man City. Uh, got three points there. They also picked up three points against Villa. You thought that Chelsea were going to run away with this one, but what an upset and what a massive result for West Ham. I think because all the other clubs are, are struggling down there, can't pick up any points, let alone three, 
this will help West Ham not only uh, grow in confidence and, and that belief, but um, it gives them a bit of a buffer. So huge win, great goal right at the end to win it on the counter-attack. Poor defending from mm. Chelsea, but um, yeah, I don't think uh, Yamalenko will worry too much about that. It was a great finish. We will pay tribute to West Ham, Thomas, first and foremost, as they go two points clear of Watford in 17th. And then Villa, Bournemouth and Norwich City. Well, Norwich, they're, they're gone. And Aston Villa, 27 points. Bournemouth lost again this morning. So their slippery slide continues. The Hammers had a crack today and they were, were rewarded for it. Um, how big a deal is this for them? And what did you like about the way they did it and the way they went about Chelsea and unlike the other two games where they were really, really cautious, they had a crack today. Yeah, no, I think uh, you saw a bit, of, a bit of fight, a bit of spirit. Um, you know, again, had a bit of controversy, a little bit of adversity with, with the VAR decision, uh, the goal that was cancelled. You know, but again, they, they exploited, you know, the, the, the lack of concentration, I would say, from, from Chelsea. You know, the, the first goal, uh, Rudiger doesn't, you know, he clears it for a corner uh, and then he comes in. Kepa is in no man's land. And, and, uh, but again, they, they, they took their chances. They kept fighting. They, they, would be, you know, they, they were being clawed back uh, behind as well in the game. So I think they showed great character. And, and some of the things that, that uh, Moyes had sort of, uh, you know, at least stated when he got in, that they, they would fight and they, they would be, uh, you know, they, they would be a tough team to beat. And I think they, they showed that today, that uh, play it to the last minute. Yeah, they... They uh, exploited a bit of, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, eight, eight Chelsea players in the box in the last minute and then uh, one-on-one at the back. I think it, it's not the way uh, I would defend. But again, they exploited it. And then, as John said, Yamolinko, I don't think he would uh, care uh, in any way. The three points are so important for them. Yeah, John, I don't think Frank Lampard, even as Chelsea boss, would probably want his team to defend that way. And he said as much afterwards. Context is really interesting here because here at Chelsea, you had the chance to leapfrog Leicester into third and we look at that and go that is naive defending of the highest order yet the context is remember all those months ago what the expectations were of Chelsea going into this season do you feel like this result and everything in this game might actually be a snapshot of their entire campaign yeah definitely because uh, you saw they dominated again with possession they didn't do that against City of course they, they, they played a different way against City they allowed them to have the ball but were really good defensively um, you know that they were switched on the whole game whereas this game here you know look they they should have conceded that goal the first one through VAR I think that was a bit harsh that they got called offside um, and then that was a set piece then the next uh, corner they got, they ended up scoring West Ham and then it just lapses in concentration. You can't afford that when you're trying to challenge to be in the top four or challenge for a title. And because of the way Chelsea had been playing, everyone was thinking, okay, they can really make a push for it. Not this season in challenging for the title, but this season definitely in making the Champions League. And with the players they're going to sign, you know, maybe they could really make a statement and, and say, yeah, we're going to be there or thereabouts next season. But they can see too many goals. That's, that's been their issue the whole season. Against the smaller sides, when they are dominating, they're not actually putting the game to bed, which is a, an issue for them. And they're allowing a little bit of a sniff for the opposition. And uh, to concede just before halftime didn't help them either. I mean, they've, they've dropped 18 points from leading positions. Uh, that's the third most in the competition. That's the kind of form where the big teams, when they're solid, you know, they put the other teams to bed. Um, 
So, Thomas, Chelsea have signed uh, lots of attacking players. Uh, they've got lots of options there. But do we see a glimpse today of maybe where the final pieces of the puzzle are for Lampard to fix going forward? What do they have to do? What does he have to do to get this Chelsea team to that next level? Uh, I, I think the inconsistency is at the back. I think he's got a, a, a choice to make with the goalkeeper. Um, you know, again, you know, obviously high, highly... Than for for Kepa, but uh, you know, look at just at the statistics. You know, he's uh, he, for, for every two shots, he's conceding one goal, uh, more or less, uh, and that that's not good enough. We saw him today as well. Uh, he's not making any match-winning saves, uh, or at least not enough. He's costing more than he's winning them points, um, and and I think it's a confidence issue. And we saw it with uh, De Gea as well. He went through a sticky patch, and and I'm sure they'll stick with him. But if they don't solve that, or he doesn't rise up. Uh, come next season, uh, I think, you know, I can't see them being uh, at the top four or cha no, challenging for the title. Um, I think they need to sort the defence out. Probably need a centre-half as well, uh, a strong centre-half, uh, a leader at the back. Because, those, you know, I think they're going forward, even though they'll lose uh, Billion and, and Pedro. I think, uh, you know, they'll have enough of the new players coming in that they'll make a, a huge difference as well, uh, positively. The thing what, is, Dave, with, with yeah. that, uh, just that they've conceded 44 goals. Um, mm. and, and, and don't compare them to Liverpool. They've only conceded 21 because Liverpool were that far advanced as everyone else. But let's compare them to Man City, 33 against. Leicester, 31 against. Man United, 31 against. You know, they're teams around them. That's a big difference. Now, um, yes, they need someone at the back. I think that uh, even with Kepa, they're, they're still unsure of. Uh, the biggest thing is is someone that can actually coach from the back and someone that can lead mm. because when you're dominating possession so much and dominating the game so much, you still need someone to organise at the back. And uh, and you and you see Liverpool with Van Dijk when they're dominating teams. Van Dijk is always coaching, always making sure his midfielders are switched on defensively because they don't get caught on the counter too much. Now this morning. You, you can't leave yourself vulnerable like that in the last minute. You're pushing for the win, but you don't want to lose either. And uh, and to get caught like that on the counter was way too easy for West Ham. Thomas, just to go back to what you said about Kepper as well, um, you, the line broke up just a little bit at the start of your answer. Would you stick by him for next season? Willie Caballero is there. He's a lot more experienced, but he's not the future. Um, is he worth persisting with? We know that Lampard's used him as a statement in the past. Um, yeah, I, th I think they have to. Um, I, I don't think uh, with the amount of money they've spent, and Caballero is not the answer. You know, I think they, uh, you know, they put him in early in the season, and, and yeah, he can do a job when you need him to, but but he's not a difference maker. So, so they, they'll they'll need at least to give him uh, another six months, I think, for, for for next season to to see if they can get his confidence off, get, get him. Uh, you know, get him on the right path uh, because he's got the, you know, there's no arguing that he's got the, um, you know, the right qualities. And, uh, but again, I agree with John. I think, you know, from a leadership point of view, he looks to sometimes a little bit out of sort. Um, again, today, you know, uh, from my point of view as a goalkeeper, you know, you should always be aware of, you know, where you are in a game and, and what the setup is. And, and you can never leave a two on two, uh, you know, last second, you know, you've got to have some sort of, uh, you know, guarding against it or a, a holding midfielder. You know, you've got to have 3v2 at, at the, 
you know, <laughs> as a minimum. So, uh, so that that's another thing that uh, that they need to sort out. Um, so, so I, I think they should stick with him for six months, but uh, uh, he'll come under pressure and he'll feel the pressure, of, you know, going into next season for sure. I'll tell you what, John. I mean, talking about leadership at the back, it wasn't Cesar Spilicueta's finest 90 minutes um, in a Chelsea shirt. But one to end this off on was N'Golo Kante's had four games back in his favourite role, the number six role. Um, but there's been a lot of rumours that with all the signings and with Jorginho still there and Kovacic still there and Billy Gilmore coming through and Mason Mount, that he might be expendable at Chelsea. Would you build Chelsea's midfield around him? Would you sell him? Would you keep him? It's a pretty pivotal swing question heading into next season. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, look, I'm sure Lampard knows uh, what he's looking for. He sees him every day. Um, if he thinks uh, Kante is the future, look, I think Kante is a top player. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to lose a player like him. But, um, you know, we're starting to question Chelsea after, and we say a bad result. And you said before, let's put in perspective a little bit, before the season started, no one would have expected them to be in this position. So, um, he's, you know, it's his first season uh, with them, uh, Frank. So, you know, let's give him a, a little bit more time to, to get that defensive shape right. And, uh, and maybe with those players, he can get it right. But maybe he doesn't need to go signing any other players. Uh, you know, he, he knows what he needs to do to, to get it. And, and you, you're like you're saying, Espilicueta, that, that, that was an experienced player that, that really struggled this morning. You know, losing the man on the... Well, he didn't lose him on the corner, but he he allowed him to, to jump. He The way he jumped, he actually was never going to win that header. So what you have to do then is actually jump into your player a little bit so you can actually put him off balance. And, you know, it was um, uh, for a striker, it was it was like heaven. Him jumping up like that, you can use his body to actually leap and then get over him. So, yeah, you know, with that experience, you wouldn't expect that from a player like that. Now, remarkably, Leicester are still third. It's the greatest... If, the, if their miracle a few, years, a few years ago was winning the league, the miracle right now is that they have not been caught. Uh, Chelsea could have gone above them this morning, but as a result, Leicester remain on 55 points, Chelsea 54, Manchester United 52, Wolves 52. The Wolves, let's if you use the animal metaphor, they're, they're hunting and they're coming quickly. Um... Leicester lost this morning to Everton as well. I should add to those listening, um, who gets those two spots, Thomas? We change, we're sort of checking in every week on this, but the momentum actually is with the two outsiders. Yeah, I, I, sadly, I think I, I actually uh, said last week that uh, Leicester was going to stick in there. Uh, but sadly, I think the momentum has swung uh, not in their favour. I think they've, they've got, you know, the... They, they, it's things are not going the right way. Then, then they're not things are not falling for them. Uh, they've got players that are not playing as well as they did early in the season. Uh, so, so yeah, I think United and, and Chelsea will uh, will uh, sneak in there. Wolves potentially, uh, and Leicester will drop out of the top four. What do you think's happened to them, John? I mean, FA Cup against Chelsea, which Lampard said was Chelsea's worst half of the season. Uh, Leicester threw everything in that first 15, 20 minutes and came up with naught. And that's pretty much as good as they played since the restart. Yeah, and, and they weren't bad today against uh, Everton. I just think a, a little bit has to do with the confidence. You know, you, you, when you're playing with confidence or you're winning football games, sometimes you don't even need to play that well, but you believe you're going to win. You believe you're going to score a goal. At the moment, because they haven't won, 
since the restart. They're, they're actually, they lack that belief. And when they are attacking, you know, before Vardy would be scoring with a half a chance. Now, you know, he doesn't even look like he's going to get a, an opportunity to score. And, um, you know, from having 19 goals this season and, and now not looking like he's going to score, that's a little bit where Leicester are lacking. They don't believe they're going to go score their goals when they are dominating the opposition. So, um, yeah, they need a win quick because if they don't, they, they are in danger of dropping out of, you know, say the top four, but it could be the top five because mm. uh, we all know about the issues with City with the Champions League and, um, you know, what a story that would be from being third and, and quite a few points in advance to, to dropping out. And you can see Man United catching them um, the way they're looking. You can see Wolves, you know, keep on picking up points even when they don't play so well. Chelsea, uh, we've still got to answer a lot of questions about, you know, whether they can be consistent. But, um, you know, what a shame it would be for Leicester if they drop out there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think as well, a huge thing for them was, uh, you know, around Christmas when they lost to both Man City and, and Liverpool. I think that was probably a, a confidence boost. Maybe they got ahead of themselves uh, a bit. Uh, you know, I think they, they overperformed potentially uh, early in the season. Uh, and I think the margin for error for, for a team like Leicester, it's, it's not great. And Didi is out with injury. Pereira is out. You know, two two really good players that, that have been instrumental for them. And, and uh they just haven't got squads like Liverpool or Man City to to cover for those things. Um, and again, Bardi so much has been like he scored uh, 16 in his first 16 games, and now I think uh, you know he, he's, he's, his conversion rate is is like three or four times lower than it was. So mm-hmm. that that's a huge difference for them. And and uh, yeah, uh, and it's small margins in in this game, and and uh, they haven't got it at the moment. Speaking of small margins, what is what helps is when you've got a sub, a super sub that can change the game. And that's been a huge part of why Wolves are hunting so close to the pack, Adama Traore. I just want to ask you guys about him because he's one of my favourite players at the moment and he's taking the league by storm. Um, asking about a player that, how do you stop him? Because you watch him at times. And I remember one game against Manchester City early in the season before this break. He was almost unplayable. Um, how good is he, John? How good can he get and is he the key to Wolves' top four ambitions? I think he's definitely one of the keys that look Wolves have got a good side but he's the X factor he's the one that can actually beat a player he's the one that he's actually quite direct you know he um, he's not afraid to take players on Um, I think what uh, Nuno has done with him is actually simplify his game you know when you beat that player if you do get on the outside of him, make sure you just cross it to the back post because Jimenez will be in there. Mm. Um, you know, or you do come inside, you know, there'll be someone to link up with. And, uh, and you see, you, he, he looks like he's playing with confidence. He, he's given, been given simple instructions. How can you stop him? Well, you can't. He, he looks like an American gridiron player, NFL player, which you know very well, Thomas. They are <laughs> massive and he's huge. He's, he's lightning quick. He says he never goes into the gym. I, I think that's a lie because I've never seen a footballer with bigger arms than him. And, and he's only 24. So how much get better can he be? I, I think that um, if he keeps on improving at the rate, he's, he's going to go on to a lot, a lot bigger and better things, maybe even with a bigger club. But, um, you know, how exciting it is to watch him at Wolves at the moment. Yeah, exactly. He's out. He's out. So another key player this morning, if we talk briefly um, of another game, it was Newcastle against Bournemouth. Bournemouth, poor old Eddie Howe side, uh, 
falling at a rate of knots. They're, if you look at momentum, they're pretty close to gone. And speaking of another player, another talisman, Alan St. Maxim, three assists today, an absolute superstar. I'm asking the same question to you, Thomas, about him. He's a player that the fans can absolutely get around at St. James's Park. Um, is he a player of, who you see a bit like Traore, who, if he can find that consistency, can become the, the match winner and the talisman for, for Steve Bruce or whoever is in charge at Newcastle next season? Yeah, and uh, you know he's got. You know we saw him today. You know the the second goal where he takes on a couple of players and just the acceleration and power to 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 get to the byline and then the vision as well to to pick out uh, a player. You know he, he's he's a special talent. Consistency is he's still young. Consistency is, is the key going forward. But uh, you know I think he's taken Newcastle by storm. I think they've been looking for that sort of talisman for for a long time. Uh, a young player that. You know, has the charisma and the flair to to inspire the. You know, I know the fans up there how passionate they are, and uh, and also what comes out of Newcastle is that, that you know he he's good around the community as well. He um, you know he, he helps the local food mm. bank. He even sends stuff back to his old club in in France. So uh, you know that that's what people up there love. Uh, so he's he's done it the right way, and and seems to be a guy that, that works hard as well on his game and and is humble, even though. When he signed, there was a few rumours that uh, that he had a bit of an attitude. But, you know, again, maybe that's down to Steve Bruce and man management. Uh, you know, that they've got him on the right track. And, you know, so far, so good. I think he, he looks exciting. Yeah, let's give credit to Steve Bruce because uh, at the beginning of the season, I was probably one of the ones that said that they, were, they looked like they could go down. Uh, where are they going to get results from? Who's going to score them goals? And... And if you look at where they are on, mm. on 42 points, uh, it, it's, it's a great season. And, um, you know, with all that commotion going on in the background in terms of being a takeover, there's not a takeover. Uh, will Steve Bruce still be there? Will Rafa Benitez come back? Will they go sign this player? He's been able to make sure that his side's consistent, hard to beat, um, and he's got the best out of his players. So, you know, well done to Steve Bruce. Exactly. Some of the uh, teams in the bottom few positions on the table would love that solidity and that includes Bournemouth um, Thomas their, their romance their fairy tale it's, it's probably done now isn't it yeah it looks dire uh, you know again injuries um, I think what, what what they were good at like the last couple of seasons you know they scored goals you know they leaked goals but uh, but now they just can't you know seem to to get a shot at target even and uh, you know got injuries Joshua King is obviously out uh, Callum Wilson has, has been suspended for two games so he's not playing next week um, and, and four clean sheets you know you know when you don't score you don't keep clean mm -hmm. sheets uh, you know that's not a, a, a recipe for success so I, I think Eddie Howe even though you can't count, count him out because you know he's shown in the past that they've, he's gotten him out of, of you know, difficult situations. But sadly, I think this is, uh, this is the season where he can't come up with a miracle. Well, they're only one point away, Dave. So we can't write them off just yet. But uh, the way they're playing is, is worrying because, uh, you know, like uh, Thomas said, they, they, you could always rely on them to score goals. And, you know, we, we talk about the side since they've come back uh, from the, the virus that, um, you know, they haven't been able to get that lift from their own fans. You know, mm. when you're playing down the bottom and when you haven't got that uh, that talent or that squad like the, the, the bigger sides have, you, you know, you require your fans to give you that extra lift or that extra push sometimes. And that's probably why that your Sheffield Uniteds, your Bournemouths, your, your Norwiches haven't been doing that well even when they're playing at home because 
again, that was a poor result this morning for them. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'd love, I love a minnow punching above their weight, but the momentum at this time is, is the worrying bit. And their next four fixtures are United, Tottenham, Leicester and Manchester City. So oh, I've got no chance. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just qualify what I said a bit earlier. Um, Eddie Howe's done, he's always touted with a move to a bigger club. Mm. What does something like this do, though, to his reputation? If you were him, would you go down and try and get them back up again? Or is that kind of like an end of a chapter, Thomas, where you're like, maybe I should have got it a year earlier, or if not, my time's done. And does it affect his currency? Does he still get linked to those jobs with more resources to show what he can do? No, yeah, you know, he'll hurt his stock a little bit. You know, he's not red hot as, as he probably was last year, but, but I think he's still one of the, the, the most respected younger managers in, in English football. He's, he's, he's shown over years that with a sort of small budget, uh, small squad, he's been able to, to produce, uh, you know, great results. And, and um, you know, again, he has a decision to make. I think no matter what happens, the club has a decision to make. Uh, do, you, do you sort of uh, re- put the reset button and, and start from scratch and find a new manager? Uh, or, or do you stick with Eddie Howe, who potentially wants to be there and, like you said, uh, bring them back up again? But um, I don't know. I think, Johnny, you know, you're a manager. Uh, you know, again, a new, new, new sort of challenge could be good for him, I think. Yeah, I think maybe a new challenge would be good for him. I think he's been there a long time. He's actually punched above his weight with mm. that club because they haven't got the resources. They haven't been able to spend money like other clubs have. You know, we even talk about Aston Villa that they spent 120 million. You know, how how much would Bournemouth love to be able to spend that sort of money? Um, but his currency will go down a little bit. You know, maybe in hindsight, it's easy to say now that he should have walked at the end of last season. But, you know, sometimes that's, um, you know, that's an art in itself, a manager mm. knowing when it's time and when he should walk and how early and, or, or how long he, he holds on for. Because uh, we saw with Pochettino, you know, should have he walked at the end of the Champions League campaign that he had. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that Pochettino, like how will still get good roles in the future and um, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. Tell you what, Pochettino looks a lot more relaxed now that he's not coaching. Did you see him with his son re, uh, signing at Spurs the other day? Looks no, like, I didn't see that. No, yeah, no, no. Looks like uh, his holiday has treated him, with, treated him well. He's looking a lot more relaxed than he did earlier in the season. Um, and now uh, Mourinho's got that uh, lovely responsibility of, of, of looking like that. Um, talking about uh, getting roped into fights and also trying to get into the top four, Manchester United versus Brighton was a big swing game uh, yesterday as well. Uh, Manchester United, I mean, we waxed lyrical over them last week, Thomas. Uh, they looked, I won't even say they looked better. They did it in a canter against Brighton and uh, scored a goal that was sort of reminiscing of their glory days, a counter-attack goal that was finished by Bruno Fernandes. Um, what did you make of that? And we spoke about last week, how good can they be? Um, they're progressing each game. Yeah, no, I think I think they're looking pretty good. Uh, again, you know, Bruno Fernandes looks like the signing of the season. I think you know, with uh, you know, with him coming in, I think that was the turning point. Uh, they, they they were struggling for direction a little bit, and and he was just the one that that sort of put it all together. Uh, they got the young players firing, like Mason Greenwood got a, another goal today, uh, but with a with a little bit of luck potentially, with the ball 
being out, but uh, mm-hmm. but 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 everything else, you know, even De Gea came up with some good saves and 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 kept a clean sheet. So you sound yeah. surprised, Thomas, about De Gea. Uh, you know, we we talked <laughs> we talked about him last week, and uh, you know, he's been in a sticky spell, but he's a good goalkeeper. And and again, as 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 soon as the team, you know, you know, it's easier to be a goalkeeper in a team with confidence. You know, when you're on the you know, when it when it's the opposite, and you know the pressure's on you all the time to produce, it, it, that can sort of get to you at some point. Uh, so again, he'll grow with the team, and uh, I'm sure he'll he'll come good. But yeah, as a team, uh, Solskjaer must be very pleased with the way they're playing. How good are they, John? Well, I think they're very good at the moment, um, and and they've shown it for quite a period now. I think it's 16 games that they've gone unbeaten. It's uh, it's quite a record. At the beginning of the season, we spoke about them, that they were going to be a good team on the break. They're going to be dangerous on the break. So they're probably better suited against the better sides when they could sit off and then with their pace up top with Martial, with Rashford, catch teams on the break. But now with the introduction of Fernandes, Pogba coming back in where he's not got all the pressure, they're actually a side that can actually take the game to the opposition and and control the football game like they did against Brighton. They had the majority of possession. Um, they never really looked under pressure uh, defensively. Um, going forward, they always looked like they could change another gear to create chances. And uh, when you've got those front three players like they have got who um, have got something special, but then you've got Fernandes and Pogba just behind. Oh, they're a good team. Very good team. It, it, it's going to be not only great this season, I, I think for next season, you're going to have four sides that can really compete for the cha- well, for the Premier League title because I think Man United will be there. I think Chelsea. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Uh, we'll be there and, and, you know, City and Liverpool. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to not only at the end of this season, but to see how they go next. Well, we spoke about what Chelsea need. They obviously need to, they're not at that level yet. And ditto with United. Is it just a time thing for United with this crop of players, or have they got a big little, a big little window, a big window ahead of them, Thomas, to um, finish off what Solskjaer needs to go? This is it. There's your template. Go to the next level. I think they've got good cover in, in most positions. I still think they they could do with. Uh... You know, a big splash at the back. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, Shaw is a good player, and he's 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 had to have a better season this year. Uh, I don't know if he's the the right guy. Um, you know, potentially going forward, uh, and then you know, Lindelof, uh, Maguire. Is that the right partnership? Um, you know, I, I would like again. You know, I, I would say any club, same with Chelsea, like a Koulibaly, you know, whoever who can get him, I think will. Uh, mm. You know, be, will will be able to push in whatever league they're in. So, uh, you know, I don't think they're far off United. I, I agree with Johnny. I think, uh, you know, Chelsea and, and United are, are very close to being uh, contenders uh, next year. By the way, John, what about what Oli's done? Everyone talks about Fernandes and Pogba and Greenwood and I actually feel like no one's really mentioned Solskjaer in the last little while and 
I want to ask you about that and one of the decisions he made, which was all of a sudden the man you manage has come from nowhere to anchor the midfield ahead of Fred and Scott McTominay. And uh, that's like a little, that's been a real catalyst for them. You know what, uh, Ollie? He he kept his calm at the beginning of the season. You could see he was under a little bit of pressure. Even sometimes in his interviews, his eyes looked bloodshot. Looked like he wasn't getting a lot of sleep. Um, but he knows the Manchester United way. Now, whether he's a great tactician or not, he was at the club as a footballer. He was there when there was success. Um, he knows what the club needs and what it's all about. And he and he's actually got that message across to his players. And he's brought through a lot of good young players. And, uh, you know, we're talking about how good can they be. Uh, their players are young. You know, Rashford, he's still a, a kid. And, you know, uh, Greenwood is, is, is a kid. Um, and, and they have got a bigger squad. So he's created depth in that squad. Um, Ollie's been brilliant. I, I actually think that, uh, you know, I wouldn't take it as far yet because he, he hasn't won anything yet. But uh, it's similar to what Zidane uh, has done with Real Madrid in terms of, he knows how to manage a group. Everyone says, yeah, but he's not great tactically. Yeah, but Zidane knows the club inside out and he's been able to get results with that, uh, that side. And I, I believe Oli can do the same with Man United. You know, a lot of people questioned him at the beginning of the season, but he's, he's turned things around in a positive way. Interesting analogy. We'll see how that plays out. Speaking about a man who can turn things around and keep things going in a direction for a club, Thomas, Sean Dyche, just let's play tribute to Burnley for a minute. We've spoken about um, clubs batting overs, sort of Newcastle and so on a bit earlier. Burnley at eight. Eight. Like, when Sheffield United were in those positions, we were going really, really, really strong on how good Chris Wilder was going. Um, Burnley could barely fuel the team or bench on the week against <laughs> Manchester City uh, when, they, when they bet them last week. Yeah, it's exceptional. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not long ago when they were, two, I think, two points uh, above the relegation zone. And... Uh, you know, it shows that that mid midsection of the Premier League, you know, from from probably eighth to to sixteenth, is is ever so tight. So if you get on a on a good run, you know, you, you have a huge opportunity. And and they're not the team that plays the most expensive, most exciting bit of football. You know, they're very structured, work really hard. You know, don't spend a lot of money. Um, uh, so so again, it, it shows. Um, you know what Sean Dice is all about. You know, you just get get a lot out of relatively uh, limited resources, uh, and I think it's exceptional and, and a great story um, so far. And hopefully, they can hang on. Yeah, I mean, a team like Burnley finishing eighth is almost maximum. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's a remarkable achievement. But from one end of the scale to the other, gents, uh, Friday morning Australian Eastern. Standard time, if you're listening to us on your Thursday afternoon commute or whatever it is you do with us on a Thursday afternoon, maybe going for a run or something or putting you to sleep, whichever one it is, um, what a game this is. But what an interesting game this is because it's the calm after the storm. It's the, the walk out through the tunnel, uh, through the guard of honour um, for Liverpool against Manchester City. It's the first game uh, as their life as champions. Um, what are we to expect in this, Thomas, and uh, um, how weird will this be for Manchester City? No, I'm sure they'll feel it. Um, you know, it's um, it's never it's never nice when the crown is taken off you, even though it was to be expected with the way it, it's gone this season. Uh, Do you like, like the guard of honour, Thomas? Uh, it's a bit of a, sh a show for 
for for TV and for for the fans and and you know obviously slow, showing respect. But you know, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of it in 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 general. I think they they've got enough uh, respect um, from 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 the other team and and a lot of lot of celebration. I don't know if it again. Um, I would feel a little bit if I was a Man City player, you, you sort of have to stand there and, and applaud it. But again, I see the sportsmanship in it. And uh, yeah, if that's the way, the way they want it, then uh, you know, I'm not the one to, uh, to disagree. I get the sense you're not, John. No, I just, I agree with Thomas. I'm, I'd feel a little bit awkward doing it because you're like, um, you know, they're competitors. Yes, you, you respect that they've won the championship, they, they won the Premier League. And, but um, you go, okay, we're, we're here to play a game of football. We're here to, to beat them. And we want to get one over them um, because, well, you know, it's not only about this season, which they already uh, lost Man City, but um, it's about trying to get prepared and ready for next season to show Liverpool, hey, don't worry, it's not going to be that easy to retain the title. We're, we're, we're going to be challenging you. We're going to beat you. And I just feel that, um, yeah, clapping them is... Uh, it's a little bit awkward, but if that's the way they're going to do it, then they do it, and then they go and kick off, and then they uh, and they both uh, compete against each other. I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I know that Man City haven't really got a lot to play for in terms of the Premier League, but uh, they're still in uh, two competitions: Champions League, still in the FA Cup. They could end up winning a treble of cups this season. Um, still not a bad season, is it? Mm. When you consider, you know, that they're so far behind Liverpool. And Liverpool will be going, we want to break all records in front of us. And, uh, and that's the way Klopp will look at it. And, and I think it uh, will be a game that, that you'll see that both teams will go at each other and uh, the intensity and, and, and the pace of the game will be high. And um, the better team will win, which uh, I think will be a draw. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be John, John, we spoke earlier this week and there's a long feature article up on the site about what might be next in the... Guardiola and Klopp rivalry. But I'm interested from you, Thomas, on your take on that sport. I want everyone that's listening to go and have a read of the article for us. So I'm not going to get your opinion again, uh, John, until <laughs> we're going to hook everything together. <laughs> what does Klopp do, Thomas, to stay ahead of the pack? And how can what's Guardiola's priority to try and bridge the gap? You know, I think what, what really characterizes these, these two managers is that, you know, they're always looking to improve. They're always looking to reinvent themselves. They're always looking at, at new, new training methods, uh, obviously improving the squad. Um, uh, and I think what they both do really well is the man management. You know, they, they just seem to, the players seem to want to be playing for them. Um, so so I, it, it's, I think they'll both try to improve and obviously look at, you know, stats and, and um tendencies from this season you know how can we get the better of Liverpool how you know from from City's point of view how, how can we you know uh, you know the press today how, how you know so, so that, I think that's the way Guardiola is, is thinking uh, potentially you know he needs to shore up uh, you know the, 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 the back line has been you know Laporte being out has been has cost him I think this season uh, you know Liverpool have been fortunate not to have major injuries uh, so, so I think from from City's point of view, if they want to bridge that gap, potentially uh, maybe uh, one or two players at the back. But you know they got enough talent and on the day, and we'll see Friday they can match uh, Liverpool for sure. That's right, John. I, 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 we won't spoil the let everyone straight to the article. Um, now, to to you on that one as well. 
the the thing that is fascinating with these two who have basically you know they've defined this era tactically in a way haven't they um it's almost i'm almost fascinated to see who's got a trick up their sleeve or whether it's just a continued uh, evolution of, of this rivalry as it is hammer and tong recruitment man management and, uh, and and just continue to see how it can evolve well, it was Guardiola that sort of invented the tiki-taka. And then it was uh, it, it Klopp that invented the, the Gagan Press. That's where you got this show from, the Gagan Pod. So, it, uh, you know, they have it been incredible. For the last 10 years, both of them, um, Guardiola, he plays a certain style of football. You know what you're going to get from his teams. But they do mix it up in, in terms of their, their formations and, uh, you know, their systems. Um, with Klopp, you know what you're going to get from him as well. You know that uh, they, they, they counter-press really well. They, they win the ball back in good areas and then they, they can actually attack you very quickly with the pace they have in terms of their, their players going forward. And, um, you know, I just think that uh, they're going to be, as long as they're around for another 10 years, they're going to still be competing for titles against each other because um, they're that good. Um, Thomas mentioned that they're actually great man managers. That They've got... Their, the all-round package is perfect. You know, they, they're both good in the press. They're both very good tactically. They, they both got a good eye for a player and get the best out of their players. And, um, and, and you know, they're always competing for trophies. They're winners. So it's, uh, it's exciting for, for the Premier League to have those two coaches. And it's exciting for those respective clubs that they're there because um, you can see they're going to be competing again next season. Yeah, August is such a big month for Manchester City in particular, not just finding out their future next year in the Champions League and whether they will be banned or expelled from the competition, but also to try and get that coveted silverware, go with the FA Cup and, and go on and do that. So obviously uh, they're in a huge tie with Real Madrid, but um, that's just massive for Pep Guardiola there. I'll tell you what, speaking of Pep Guardiola though, John, um, his former club, if we, if we change tact uh, a little bit here, um, Barcelona, the top two in Spain, the dynamic there is very, very different to what it is in England. Can you set the scene for us on how much you love La Liga and are fascinated by the title race? But what's the fallout from that two-all draw with Atletico Madrid? Well, the biggest fallout's been um, what they've actually got out of Griezmann because they've got nothing out of him. Um, you know, who, who world-class player, was unbelievable at Atletico Madrid. Um, was great to watch there. Also at Real Sociedad, World Cup winner. And he actually doesn't look like a player at all at Barcelona. And what Setien did with him on the weekend was actually borderline disrespectful. He brought him on in the 90th minute when there was virtually only three minutes to go uh, that they were going to play. And you're thinking, what are you doing? Why are you doing that to a player with that respect and uh, or the caliber of Griezmann? It was... It was uh, he got questioned a lot about it. He um, he said that he you know he didn't do it out of any disrespect. He he did it because he thought he could make a difference in those three minutes. Um, but it, it they virtually said they they've lost the title. You know two two. It's not a bad result against a great Atletico Madrid team, but because they they're starting to drop points now and uh, Real Madrid don't look like they're going to drop any points. The title is slipping away from them. And, and is Setien going to? move forward with this team you know there's been a lot of uh, talk about Messi not really respecting the assistant coach as well um, you know there's a fallout between the playing group and the coaches 
it, it, it doesn't look pretty. And um, that's what happens when you're at a club like Barcelona, you're not getting results. There's always some story to come out. So it'll be very interesting to see what the, the future holds for them, whether Setien will stay on or a Xavi might come in and, and mm. take over the reins. Mm. Well, one point of drift to Real Madrid, it's, that's enough for a crisis in La Liga. But of course, Real have a game in hand against Getafe Friday morning. Barcelona then get the chance to bounce back against Villarreal on the weekend. Um, is it a bit of a circus, Thomas? Or do you think uh, we will see uh, Setien potentially lose out with, with Xavi finally getting the job that maybe he felt he wasn't ready for uh, when Valverde got the axe, but maybe he's had a bit of time to, to think about it and he's ready to take over for next season? I think it's it's a big change for Setien. He's come from Real Betis and and and, and into this job and, and and just the man management. I think we've talked about it. Like you know, when you are a big big club, yes, you you obviously need to to have the the tactical pedigree. But but it, it it's about you know you're managing one of the best, if not the best player in the world, and uh, and the players around him. Uh, and the past has shown that a lot of players have come there. Uh, Ibrahimovic, you know Sanchez. A lot of players have come there with with you know a lot of uh, respect, but haven't really panned out. And and Messi, you know, he, I think he takes up a lot of lot of room, and, and and that takes a good manager to 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 get the best out of the players around him. And, and Griezmann just seems to have lost confidence, and and uh, like Johnny said, you know, man managed over, and, and his family has come out and, and criticised. Uh, you know the club and 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 that, that the way they've done it. Uh, so so if, with with all the you know both Real Madrid and, and uh, Barcelona, a lot of things goes on uh, when things not mm. going well. And and I fear for him. I I, I, can't, I can't say if they don't win this title, he's gone for sure. Was he set up to yeah, fail? Look, oh no, I wouldn't say he was set up to fail. They were leading the competition. They they, they, were, two, they were two points in front. I think when Valverde got the sack, um, I actually agree with Thomas. Now. It, when he was an ex-player, Setien, but never an ex-player at, at such a high level. And um, he might be great tactically, which he did a decent job with Real Betis, but it wasn't amazing. Um, you know, when you go into a club like Barcelona, you need to not only be a, a good coach tactically, but you need to be able to manage big stars and, and get them to buy into what you're trying to do straight away. And, uh, and that's what Guardiola was able to do. Um, and this was before Guardiola really achieved anything as a coach. He, he knew how to manage that changing room because he had been in that changing room as a player. He had played with the best players in the world. He played with Romario. Uh, he played with Storchkov. So he, he knew that, how they act and, and what they, they need. And, and, you know, so he knew what to do with Messi and, and the likes there. And, and it was the same with Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique understood the, the Barcelona dressing room. He knew when he could step into the dressing room, he knew when he had to stay away. And um, there's a great story about him and Messi that they didn't always see eye to eye. So, you know, Luis Enrique knew when to, to take a step back and let Messi do what he had to do. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, that, that that's an art in itself. And I don't think Setien's got that. His assistant coach uh, has caused quite a few issues um, as well, just the way he speaks to the players and that, you know, we, we're not privy to the way he is behind closed doors, but, it, it, you know, the, the drinks break the other day when he was sp speaking to Messi and Messi turned away and started walking away wasn't a great look. And, um, and so that, that, that's the issues that you can have at a club like Barcelona. How much of it's political? In what terms of what happens next? 
very political because will Zavi want to wait until 2021 when the, uh, their re-elections are, are about um, or whether he comes in early enough to, to save uh, Bartholomew, the, the actual president of Barcelona at the moment? Because, um, you know, Zavi might want to come in with a new uh, president and, and take over them. But then Messi's a year older. So, you know, does he want to come in while Messi's still at that level that can win in championships? Because that's, that's really your main player. So, it's, uh, there'll be a, you know, not easy decision for someone like Xavi. And it could be a little bit of a political one as well. Thomas, what's your take on the Griezmann situation? Because that, for me, is utterly bizarre. Because John laid the, the, the picture there. World-class talent. And he just... It's one of those ones where you watch a game and you think, he can't be that bad, can he? And he actually is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I, uh, I read an article, Dugarry, the, uh, the old French forward, was out and, and, and talked about the situation and, and uh, you know, obviously uh, gave the Setienne a bit of credit, uh, criticism, but, but also said, you know, Griezmann hasn't been good enough. You know, he passes it sideways. You know, he, he just passes it all. He doesn't do anything on, on his own. He, he looks out of sorts, no confidence. So he has to take a lot of uh, the criticism himself uh, for, for not performing. And uh, yeah, like I, I, back to what I said earlier, I think sadly it's a story that hap- has happened to a lot of players at, at Barcelona that, um, you know, Messi takes up, uh, demands a lot. Um, and uh, Griezmann, I, I don't know him as a person, but but I don't think if if you if you haven't got the right personality, that you could sort of a little bit like Soares, you have that fire that that you know uh, you know that you can give Messi something back. Um, I, I think that you struggle right? if you're too nice, if you're too quiet. Uh, I think uh, I think it's a tough dressing room to be in. The, recruit, the recruitment has been a major flaw of Barcelona, John. You know, you just think Coutinho and Griezmann pop out as the two obvious examples. Um, why has that got so badly wrong? And how much change do you think they will be able to make between now and, and next season, whoever's in charge? Yeah, see, uh, sometimes it looks like they're signing a player because of their name instead of signing a player because that's what they actually need in that squad. And then that's where the issue uh, lies half the time because when you look at a Griezmann, you go, oh, okay, where does he fit into the Barcelona style, the way they want to play their football? If they're going to play him out wide, um, they've really got Messi that likes to come and float and, and, and link up with the midfielder and link up with the strikers and whatever. So then Griezmann's not really that type of player that will run in behind um, so you go, well, then, you know, it really is uh, one-dimensional. So I don't understand how they, they've signed some players. Coutinho, the same, didn't really fit into the Barcelona way of playing. Um, whereas Ansu Fatu, who's a 17-year-old kid from their academy, fits straight away into the way the first team wants to play. So they, they need to try and get their next signings right, uh, the next the three or four major signings. Um, if they're going to still compete at the highest level. And what we mean by that is we know they're going to be there or thereabouts in La Liga, but, you know, the Champions League is the big one that Messi and Barcelona want. And the way they're playing, they look like they've got no chance of winning it. Things move quickly in La Liga. As I said, a point difference can be a crisis. I remember we had uh, Guillaume Balaguer on um, scores on Sunday many, many months ago. And at that point, Zizou's tenure was being questioned. So there's nothing <laughs> like a good soap opera in Spain, right? But... Um, put you on the spot. 
who is the coach of uh, Barcelona at the start of next season? Is it uh, Xavi, Setien, or someone else? Or Messi? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's been a coach for the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a tough one. No, I, I would have to say that uh, if Barcelona do not win, and I mean uh, La Liga or the Champions League, uh, it won't be Setien. Um, it, it, I don't know if Xavi will go there now, but it definitely won't be Setien. I'll be very surprised if it is anyway, because they, they're a club that need to win uh, silverware. And if they don't, then the coach is the first one to go. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm exactly on the same uh, page as, as John. I think uh, it needs trophies. And if there's no trophies, uh, he's, Setien is gone and... Um, uh, again, I, I question if Savi, and, and he said himself, uh, if he's ready and, and some of the demands, you know, he wants a, you know, a reset and, and wants to build his own team. And uh, so I think there's a lot of things to sort out for him to come back. But he wants to come back, and I think eventually he will. But uh, I think maybe next season will, be, uh, will maybe be a bit too early for him. We'll see how that plays out. And uh, fascinating it will be. I tell you what, um, we'll end off on a, a really bright note and that's just to reminisce on what a big day it was last Friday um, when the Women's World Cup bid was announced here in Australia, uh, Australia New Zealand to host 2023. I know a bit of time's passed since then but um, it'd be good to just get your guys thoughts and reaction on that. What a morning it was uh, at Optus Sport where uh, you know the announcement comes through about 1.45 in the morning, uh, we're all ready to go and then uh, we've got the second biggest story of the year, Liverpool finally winning, dropping a matter of hours later, I can say very firmly it was the biggest day on Optus Sport um, in a very, very, very long time. A great joy to be a part of. But the next three years, John, are going to be a great ride. Um, your reaction to that, but also, you know, we talk about the next three years being a great ride, but it's also, uh, I guess, for you as part of that Golden Generation group, the next three years and beyond. Yeah, well, um, Ange came out this week, Ange Postecoglou, and actually said what we're all thinking and, and we're all believing should happen. He said the, the 2015 Asian Cup, we won, we hosted, put on a great event, but nothing really changed in, in the, the football landscape. And uh, we want the World Cup, the Women's World Cup, to change uh, the landscape here. And that means better infrastructure, um, better training facilities, stadiums, uh, more money, uh, for grassroots, um, and and that's that's what we that's the legacy it has to leave. We we all want to see the Matildas win. We know they've got a good opportunity because they've got some outstanding players. We talk about golden generation. This is probably their golden generation. You know, especially with the likes of Sam Kerr and Eggman. Um, you know, you, I could go on uh, about the amount of players they've got at a high level. So they've got a, a good opportunity to go and win it in their home country. We know we're going to put on a great tournament and we know it's going to be enjoyable and entertaining and it's going to be a great three-year ride to get there. But we want it to leave a legacy and that's what we have to be pushing for and that's to change football in this country for, forever. Yeah, no, I, th I think uh, you know, with the state of, of football uh, in, in general, I think it's it's uh, it's been a bit, of, especially the men's side of it, has been in a bit of a mess. And and um, you know, I think this is a great opportunity, like John said, to uh, you know, you can't sit and, and and take the big cigar out now and smoke for three years and and just wait for it to come around. Now you have to really use this time, you know, to to build, um, you know, to uh, yeah, to get 
facilities uh, and all the, uh, the the sponsorships, all the the commercial opportunities, all the money. You gotta you gotta use every single ounce of time to to get as much out of it as possible. Get you know people interested, uh, and and then uh, through that, then leave leave something after it that you can use going forward. Because I think the Australian game needs, uh, and so it came at the right time. So, Dave, I think we've got 127,000 girls and women play the game, and they're, they're predicting, uh, in, I think, seven, eight years' time, there's going to be 600,000. Now, that's great. We, we, we know that's, that's huge. But uh, the issue that we have at the moment, we don't have enough uh, grounds for kids. We don't have enough grounds uh, for the, the, you know, the grassroots to play on. So we have to understand our game's going to keep on growing. Our game is the... Um, number one sport in Australia in terms of participation. Um, the things that we lack is still our facilities. Uh, it, it, it's, we're lagging behind and, and we can't afford to do that. We need to actually make sure we push the government, make sure we push uh, the clubs. Like Thomas said about uh, sponsorships, uh, commercialise the game. And we, we talk about uh, television rights and uh, and all that. This is a great opportunity for us. Let's not let it go to waste. Let's make sure we build something that, that's going to last for a very, very long time. And have the eyes on the prize. You know, we know that the last couple of years has been distracted by, you know, off-field issues and things like that. But um, the beauty of this is you're front and centre. Um, you've got a commitment to it. You've got something to look forward to. And you know what? When you're front and centre like that, you even saw on the first day, um, the, the politicians, be it state or federal, were starting to make promises, starting to flirt with the sport that's going to bring the whole world to our shores. Um, we need to leverage that and we need to make sure that those are, you know, the training grounds that are left for teams here and, and whatnot, um, that that's something for our young guys and girls going forward get to get to cash in on. How good was the Opera House? You know, seeing, uh, you know, the Sam Kerr doing the, the, the somersault, the flip on, on the Opera House and, and the, the Australian colours and um, all the other things that were on there. It, 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 it's going to capture, the, not only here in Australia, but it'll capture the world. Um, and even the other day, I went into a shop with my wife. She was buying a dress and, and the lady in there said, how good is it? I didn't even know she knew anything about football or <laughs> recognised me. How good is it that we're going to host the Women's World Cup? Um, didn't care that if Matilda's going to play up here in Brisbane or not. Uh, was just so excited about it. And, and we, we need to make the most of that because it is going to be huge. Everyone's going to be following here in Australia. And, um, and yeah, let's, let's hope that uh, we build a side that are going to go on and, and challenge to win it, which I believe they will. Can't wait for the journey. Can't wait to actually see what Ante Milicic decides to do. He's got a bit, a bit of a decision to make, um, but that'll be... That'll be interesting over the next little while, see what he decides. But um, great journey ahead for everyone involved. And it was just the news we needed last Friday. And hopefully we can build on that. Gents, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, the football feast does not stop. So I appreciate you taking the time out to have a chat for all our listeners. Thanks. Thanks. pleasure. Good stuff. Now, I won't be with you next week. I'm taking a, uh, I'm ducking off for a week. Richard Bayless will be with you next week for next week's Gag and Pod. So, um, Look forward to having you listen to that one for the first time this season. Um, and until we next speak uh, in a couple of weeks' time, as ever, enjoy your football.